I want to thank Pastor Harris for this opportunity to be opening up God's Word and preaching God's truth. Please turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. I want you there. Let's all stand as I read through Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. You may be seated. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you today, worship you in song, in scripture, in fellowship, and in hearing from your word. Father, as I bring forth your word here this morning, May we all come away from this time understanding your truth better, understanding your word better, understanding how we are fallen human beings that are in great need of a Savior. And Father, I just do pray that uh, through this time of looking in your word that we will grow as well as Christians and being bold in the witness that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The Guinness Book of Records has a church in South Korea as the largest church membership in the entire world with a membership, this was from a few years ago, with a membership of over 800,000 church members. The name of the pastor there was David, which is his Christian name, Yongji Cho. At the height of it, it was 830,000 church members of his church in South Korea. Several years before he reached that point, he was becoming more and more internationally known around the world. And he told God, I will go anywhere to preach except to Japan. You see, he hated the Japanese people. He was born in 1936. And that meant that to him the Japanese was a deep, uh, was a people that had mistreated not only people in South Korea, but even his own family. And so the Japanese to him were like the Ninevites that we just read here in Jonah chapter 3. I start this out because of the attitudes, the example of many towards other people groups that are similar to this. 
We have modern examples, and we can all think of several different countries that hate other countries at this current time. We can look back at World War II of Americans and their hatred towards the Japanese or towards other nations. And throughout all of history, this is a very common occurrence. I have been greatly mistreated, and I, and I dislike this people. So, Yong Ji Cho, through a prolonged internal struggle, people directly challenging his prejudice, he finally was urged that he should take an invitation to go and preach to those in Japan. And so, Cho felt called to go there. And he went there with bitterness. And when he was there, he was to speak not to just a congregation, any, any group of people of unbelievers, but in fact, he was supposed to speak to a thousand Japanese pastors. And so he comes and speaks to these thousand pastors, and he comes up to speak, and these were the first three words, these were the words that he spoke. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And then he broke down and wept. I start with this illustration once again, and we'll finish this towards the end of our time. But this is the attitude that Jonah had towards the Ninevites. This is the hatred. We've looked at this in previous chapters. Um, So looking back, we've had an opportunity in previous times to hear Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2. In that first chapter, God told him verbally to go to the Ninevites And as you know, he went the exact opposite way. He didn't tell God no, but all actions showed. I will not go. He had a terrible storms, and the sailors um, cast lots. And at that lot, it was shown that it was Jonah's fault they were in this terrible storm. And Jonah admitted so and says, it's my fault that this is happening. And he said, throw me overboard, and the storm will stop. And as you know, he is thrown overboard, and the storm stops. The sailors then, as the chapter ends, offer sacrifice to God and made vows. In chapter 2, Jonah, as we all know from that familiar story since we were very young, Jonah is swallowed by a whale. And for three days and three nights, he is in the belly of that great fish. And while in that great fish, he cries out to the Lord. And And the fish spits him out on dry land. So now we look here at chapter number 3. And let's first look at that verse there in Jonah 3, 3. And it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. So just a little bit of background on this journey that he took. As we know, obviously he had to... He got spit out on dry land, and he had. And Nineveh is nowhere near the shorelines. Some people believe it's over 500 miles that he had to travel. 25 miles a day in a caravan would mean that he was going to be traveling for over a month before he finally did it. But he went as God had told him to do. And so the uh, city of Nineveh is near Tigris River, which is in modern-day Iraq. A far journey. And now, as it says here in verse number 3, it says that it was a three-day journey. And some people believe this is a three-day journey of traveling around the, city, the circumference of Nineveh. But that would be, there's, this is not a city that he would just be speaking around the outside, but going to specific places throughout Nineveh. 
And, it, and just like in old times, in Old Testament times, most likely he would have gone first to the city gates. And there were many city gates, and this is where business was done, and this is where proclamations were made. And so, in that three days' journey, he goes to those gates, and he proclaims. And he goes to the next gate, and he proclaims. And he goes to the city squares, and he proclaims. And he goes to the temple, outside the temple areas, outside the different temple gods, and he proclaims God's message. And not only that, but the city of Nineveh is actually a very old city. And as God says in that verse number 3, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. The first time that the city of Nineveh is actually mentioned is all the way back in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. You had Noah, you had Noah's son, and he had a son, and he had a son. And many of us know that, um, you know, of some of the, the, the mighty great man, um, I just blanked on his name there um, with it, um, but the mighty great hunter, and he or his son were the one that helped found the city of Nineveh all those years ago. So here we're looking at thousands of years of history of the city of Nineveh, and it was still standing in this point. The time period of this is around 750 to 780 B.C. is when this was written. And according to UNESCO, which gives Nineveh an archaeological historical place, that this was a real place, it's even believed that Jonah's tomb itself is actually located there at the city of Nineveh. So with that background with this, we have three main points for today. The three points are the message from God, the opportunity for response, and the Lord's mercy. So as you had titled there, they were given the title, God's Mercy... Is found in surprising places. Jonah is given a second place. So let's first look at that first point, the message from God. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. God came to Jonah a second time. And that mission, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. I love going to visit old cities. I love going to um, places. Maybe some of you here have been able to go to some old cities around the world. Been to Paris, going to Rome, going to London. And here, or here even in America, going to New York City, to Philadelphia, or San Francisco. And I think some of you in the audience hearing some of those last two, they're like, that is the very last place I would ever want to go to. Because of a variety of reasons. You know, it might be because of crime or the stories that you've heard of this. Jonah obviously has a similar kind of mindset. I know its reputation. I do not want to go. God commanded him and God gave Jonah a second chance. What God thinks of the people of Nineveh is the main point. He cares about the people of Nineveh. We all need reminders that God is gracious. We all have needed second chances. Second chances at work, at school, with our parents, with our spouse, with our families, in so many other situations. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And that brings us to the point to the whole message here for this morning. Because God is gracious and merciful God who has the power to judge and save, 
we need to urge others to turn to him. The task was just as daunting as the first time he asked it. God gave him no new special instructions here when he said, go to Nineveh a second time, and I will tell you what to say. There was nothing special about it. It was just, I, I gave you a chance, you failed. I'm giving you a second chance. Spurgeon is quoted, suppose that the problem had been given to us to solve. How shall this city be moved to repentance? How shall its vice be forsaken and the God of Israel worshipped by all its inhabitants from the highest to the lowest? But what saith the Lord concerning this? He raises up one man. That man was Jonah. Jonah 3 verse 4 says this, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It is not listed specifically, but there's no way that, you know, Jonah for sure said these very words. But there's no way that the people of Nineveh probably had not heard about some circumstances that brought Jonah to this point. He was in a ship. He's thrown overboard. The storm stops. He's swallowed by a great fish. He's spit out. And now he's here. And he has a very simple message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Both times have come true. And this is one of the aspects of of a prophet. If a prophet proclaims something and it comes true, this is some aspects that show that he is truly a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22 says, And if you say in your heart, How shall we know that the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, and when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. We see, though, in these first two chapters of Jonah's life, when Jonah says something, that something comes from God, that it comes true. Wasn't there a better person, though? Wasn't there a better individual that doesn't need a second chance or that would be better fitted than a person like Jonah? In fact, during that same time, was another prophet. His name was Amos. Why didn't God call Amos after Jonah had failed? Why didn't God call Amos in the first place? Because obviously Jonah had some great amount of prejudice towards the people of Nineveh. Shouldn't he be calling somebody that would be better fitted for this ministry? Sometimes God works and moves in mysterious ways. This not only happens in the Bible, but it happens to us today. Life circumstances change. I'm going along. Jonah was a prophet. So likely Jonah was doing a great job. But God called him to do something different. And at times in our own lives, has that not happened? You're going along with life, and life is going wonderfully. There seems to be, you know, God, God, I'm following your path. I'm reading your word. And God takes away your work. God takes away your health. God takes away something else that's important to you. And he says, I want you to go and do this instead. And he doesn't tell us verbally like God told Jonah, but God has put through circumstances in our lives that is showing that I need, this change needs to happen. And we have a choice. Are we going to listen? Are we going to go with the right attitude? Are we going to go with the right mindset and begin doing the new work that God has for us? 
or are we going to resist? Whether it be verbally or by our actions, resist what God is asking us to do. That might be, like I said, moving to a new area of opportunity in service to him. Jonah had this opportunity, and he failed, but God gave him a second chance. You might feel that you have failed God, that you have not done what's, uh, that uh, have failed God in some way or another, but God is a gracious God, and he wants you to know that I, have, I will forgive you, and I will have mercy upon you, and I want you to keep using your life to serve me, wherever and however that might be. Jonah's message was as a prophet. It was not as a missionary of, of times. A prophet's job was to proclaim exactly what the Lord had to say. And many times that prophet was when talking to Gentiles, and many times even to the Israel people, was a, was a message of judgment, just like this one. Forty days and, things will be de- and you will be destroyed. But he also, a prophet can also give a, a message of hope and a message of, or a message of conviction. Whereas a missionary, on the other hand, is bringing a salvation message many times, giving to all who will believe. The Israelites and the Levite people were supposed to be that missionary, that light to the Ninevites and to the other people. And obviously they were not showing that because here were these people in Nineveh that were known to be horrible, wicked people. And the Israelites just said instead, we will stay over here, you stay over here. But God says, I have a message for you, Ninevites. I have a message for you here today. Jonah was going here in that way. I used to uh, do a lot of, I used to teach. I used to teach um, children, I used to teach students. And many times there would be uh, opportunities for volunteers. Who wants to volunteer? And because they were on the younger side, there was always lots of hands and lots of opportunities. Yes, I want to be the one to be picked. Pick me, pick me. And it's always really easy to pick the ones that you know are going to do the job perfectly, right? You've all had that. I want to pick the one that's going to do it just the way I asked them to do it, have no issues, no problems at all of what they're going to choose. And, but then we also, always in that same classroom, always have individuals that just seem to be, they're difficult. They cause problems. Most likely, if I choose them, they're probably not going to do it right. And so they are unlikely to succeed. And so I didn't choose that person, that person that generally is, doesn't do things right, because I think, you know what, they've earned it. They deserve this. I chose them just as God chose Jonah here because I wanted them to have an opportunity to do what's right. To have an opportunity to say, I know that, and we have already communicated, there are broken relationships at times. But I chose them because I said, I want to give you an opportunity to do what's right and to be used. I gave them a second chance. You know, we've all messed up, as I've already said. We've all not followed instructions. And if God is calling you to do something for a second time, will you say yes, as Jonah did on this second time? Jonah gave the prophecy message of yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That word overthrown is the same word overthrown as found in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the same one found in Genesis 19.25 and Lamentations 4.6 and Amos 4.11. 
It's always the same idea that overthrown is not just here comes an army and you're going to do it, but is you're going to be destroyed just as Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. God has the power to destroy, but does not describe, and what's interesting here is that Jonah actually doesn't make mention that God is, uh, doesn't mention God at all. He doesn't mention that this is Yahweh that's going to do this. Uh, that, or that doesn't even give them a message of hope saying, Ninevites, if you do this, God will save you. He just has one message. You will be destroyed in 40 days. Yet 40 days. The sinner that wants to keep living in sin might say to himself, I have 40 days left. I might as well live life however I want. But yet, I think this message of yet 40 days is much stronger of just showing how long-suffering God really is. He didn't just say tomorrow, as in many ways Sodom and Gomorrah um, had chosen. Tomorrow, the city was destroyed of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot knew about it, but no one else outside of Lot's family, and who Lot had said. But here in this situation, God says you have 40 days before you are overthrown. They had to decide, do I want to change? God is long-suffering. Looking at our own life, how do we act when we are confronted with sin? Do we think, I have more time? I might just do it a few more times before God realizes and God finally judges me? Or do we come quickly, realizing our sin, and confess it before our Almighty God? The first point, as I mentioned, was the message of God. The second point is the opportunity for response. The opportunity for response. We look here at the people of Assyria. Also, Assyria is the broader area. The city of Nineveh is the more specific one. And the, the Assyrian people had many other gods that they had worshipped at that time. They had many belief systems, and this, this could have just been, okay, here's just one more god that's telling us, and we're just going to add this to our pantheon of all these other gods. But scholars believe, actually, that you know, before the time that there were omens and, uh, and situations that were showing there was possibly an impending doom, um, as well because we know the time period, they are even believed that there was a, uh, recently a solar eclipse that had occurred. And they would have seen this as extremely concerning to them. What is about to happen? And so the people most likely were already nervous that God had used previous circumstances to bring them to the point that when God gives this message through Jonah, says, yet 40 days and you will be overthrown, that these people took it to heart because they had seen the circumstances. Their lives were not going well. In fact, most likely there were plagues or other scenarios that were saying, you know, things are not going well for Nineveh. Nineveh was not at its height at this point. In fact, it was one of the lower points of Nineveh's history. And so we look here at this and we see that there is a possibility of imminent destruction. So in Jonah 3, verse 5 says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. It started out at each gate. It started out in the, in the corners. It started out in individuals' homes. In modern-day terms, we maybe call this grassroots. Because from town to town, from place to place, it says that the people began to put on sackcloth and fasted. I mean, how unlikely is it that people repented, the people of Nineveh repented, 
It's extremely unlikely because we look at all of the Old Testament scripture and there is no other time throughout Old Testament scripture that there was such a revival, such a change of heart of people of the Old Testament outside of the Israelite people themselves. That's how unlikely it is. And Nineveh is the wickedest of them all. The people, every single region had their own gods. And they say, why don't we just add on another god and just say, okay, we'll just try to appease this god. And maybe that's how it started off with this, but their, their absolute change of life of all the people beginning to put sackcloth on, all of them beginning to fast. So Jonah uh, instead here is helping saying that they listened to Jonah and believe what he said. And as verse number 6 says, Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. From the lowest person to the king himself, they put on sackcloth. This was maybe a normal thing whenever they want to try to appease the gods of just putting the sackcloth, like I made mention, to appease the gods. They would try to offer a sacrifice or a ritual um, to make this difference. And they wanted to show possibly penance. Fasting was was an aspect, and this was a very Hebrewish thing that they did. Because this normally they would just offer a sacrifice to their false god, or maybe, as we know, they cut themselves or did other aspects. But this was something that they had to have known something about the Hebrew people that... Whenever the Hebrew people have messed up in front of their prophets and their prophets said those things were wrong, they put on sackcloth and they fasted. And fasting, as we know, was saying, I'm changing my life. But the king goes even farther and says, he sat in ashes. And so he, and he says, every single person throughout all the people need to do this. And not only that, but all the livestock. And this is somewhat how we know that they didn't have a full understanding of exactly what they were doing. Because the Israelite people didn't normally put sackcloth on all their animals. And it says, and the fowls too. So here even on your chickens, uh, you can imagine that they were having this impression here of that everybody was to be in sackcloth. And they were not to be eating either. So we have this full picture. These people, after Jonah's message, they are itchy, they are dirty, they are hungry, they are thirsty, and they are afraid all because of this very short message from Jonah, yet 40 days and you'll be overthrown. And why? Why do they do all this? Verse number 9 tells us why. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? They did an action. It was not just an excuse. Oh, because of this, maybe God will do this. But they are very much showing an outward repentance of saying, I have done, we have done wrong. And in fact, the king said, they don't, we, like I said, they don't have a full understanding. The king admits that they are cruel and they are evil. And as maybe you have heard messages before on the Ninevite people, Maybe you've heard how they mistreated their soldiers and putting, um, how they chained them and how they um, just, they were just a ruthless people and the king is admitting that himself. Yes, we are a violent, ruthless people. But will God turn his anger from us if we repent? But this all showed that they had great hope and faith 
Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Do we show this kind of faith in our God when he speaks when we have fear of God that he will do what he says? If you were unsure if the people actually repented or not, we look at Matthew 12, 41, also was found in Luke 12, 11 through 29 to 32, but it says in Matthew 12, 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. A cry mightily to God. He said, what's cry mightily to God? This cry was an intense earnestness, a deep fervor, a great confidence, a great perseverance. To illustrate this, I think there are, we all have heard children cry. There's two different cries, I think, many times of children crying. There's just the cry of, I'm upset, I'm not getting my way. And they begin to cry. But we know that other kind of cry, one of cry for help. A cry that says, I can't do it, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm in this terrible predicament, I can't do it, and there's no consoling them, is there? There's no saying, it's okay, little one, it's okay. But instead, we, they look at it and they say, I, they, you try to give them food, no, I don't want food. You try to give them water, I don't want anything to drink. You, you know, and if it was a, an older person, you know, let me just give you a hug. I, I don't want a hug. I'm in pain. I am upset. Just the basic things won't solve it. All the things that, and we even look at our own lives as we get older and we've had a terrible situation and we cry and we're in pain and money is not going to solve it. The world's um, system is not going to solve it. We cry out. And this is the cry of the Ninevites. They cry out, a cry out in hope and in faith. They didn't have a full understanding of who Yahweh was. Yet they believed that he had the power to destroy them and they knew that God is a merciful God. That if they cried out in faith, he could save them. The message of point one was the message of God. Point two, the opportunity for response. And point three, God's mercy to an unbelieving people or a surprising people. Jonah 3.10, as, as we've read before, says this. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. A parallel message of this is in Exodus thirty-two fourteen, When God says, I'm going to destroy the Israelites, Moses prays and God does not destroy them. They didn't deserve God's mercy, they deserved punishment. All they could do was ask for God's mercy. You might wonder, I, don't think, I didn't think God could change his mind. I didn't think he could do so. But First Samuel, and, and a way that we can kind of see this in First Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I, regret, I greatly regret that I had set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. But then in verse 29... It sounds like the exact opposite. It says, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So just as a moment ago, I will relent, and now it's saying I I never relent. 
And then verse 35 of that same chapter, 1 Samuel 15, 35, it says, And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Saul mourned, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. It sounds like God's character is changing. But in actuality, his divine nature, or that his divine nature is changeable. But this is really just showing his divine love. God's divine love for a people that are, that are willing to call out to him, and he relents. He changes his, his, uh, his action that he's going to do to these people. He is um, to the divine love of a rebellious sinner. Because we know in 1 Samuel, did Saul really change his mind? Did Paul, was Saul really repentive? No. And so God is saying, I will not relent from my anger upon you. But then we look here at this example of the Ninevite people, and they said that I have seen their works and their cry out to me, and I relent. I will stop my action of fighting people, um, of, of destroying these people. What a merciful God. He chose the most unlikely people to show mercy because they showed repentance. Isaiah 57.15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. If you will turn to your God and turn to him in faith, I will revive the heart of the contrite one. We have heard the gospel. What is your response? Romans 10, and we started our passage off um, that was read earlier by Mike. Um, Romans 10 uh, the passage there, 14 to 17, I'm sorry, 11 through 17. And so if you will turn in your Bibles there to that Romans chapter 10, and we'll look at verse 14. How then shall I call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And the passage goes on, which was read to us earlier um, here. And I want us to jump, I'm going to jump forward to the very, towards the end of it from the one part we didn't read this morning, verse number 17. I'm sorry, verse number 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who have not asked for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. Here in this passage, God is saying, eventually, and Isaiah was saying, eventually I'm going to open this up, not just to all of you, to just the Israelites, to the Jewish people, but to everyone. And this is the message that Romans is helping us to understand here in Romans 10. This message is open to all of us. Before, yes, God says I was primarily to the Israelite people, but all who believe can be saved, just as the Ninevite people were, were able to be saved. And just before that passage that we looked at earlier is one of the most famous verses that we hear whenever we're asking for a call to Christ. 
verses 11 to 13. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is this not what the, the Ninevite people did? They called out to their almighty God. And he relented from the destruction that he was going to do. This is the beginning of God showing how he's going to list, going to give this, when the, uh, the Gentiles of the world are willing to call out to him, he will save them. And giving the gospel is our responsibility. That one part there in that Roman section, how will they hear without a preacher? You know, this message could have been really short, right? Just as simple as short as Jonah's message. Repent! Turn to God. Whoever calls on Jesus and believes that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again the third day and that he stands before God as an intercessor to you, if you will believe that you are a sinner and that God has died, and that Jesus died for your sins and that he is able to save you, will you have such faith? And I, I sit down and as we'll learn in the next chapter, Jonah just walks away. He walks away and lets God see what God can do. What about you and your actions? That's that one little phrase you say to somebody. That one little line that you can say to somebody to help them to know that Jesus can be their Savior. That Jesus can save them from all the destruction. But you might say, I'm afraid. Or I don't think they're going to listen. I don't think they're going to understand. Nineveh's people, is that not exactly what the Ninevite people, all those excuses could have been used for the Ninevite people. They had every reason not to believe or to understand or to in fact just kill Jonah right then and there. And there are people groups around the world, but we even have people, areas in this country, areas that you might not want to go to, like I made mention of some large cities. But it doesn't have to be a large city, it could even just be our own neighborhood. It could be be even under our own family that we're afraid to talk to about this. How are they going to hear without a preacher? So, maybe God is calling you today and asking you to turn before the judgment. Believe on Jesus. Why? Because God is gracious and merciful. He has the power to judge and the power to to save you. Children that are here in the audience here this morning, you maybe have heard that story, the first part of the story about Jonah and then even maybe this part of the Ninevites. But do you show mercy to your friends? Do you ask for repentance and faith? Has God has given the power to forgive you? Have you been a witness to those around you? With just that simple phrase, God loves you, he wants to save you. Parents, do we show a life that reflects God's approach to Jonah and the Ninevites? Do you show mercy to the children when they repent? Because you have in the power to forgive, do you not forgive? Your child says, I'm sorry, I've messed up. Will you give me a second chance? Do you show mercy and give a second chance and not hold a grudge against them? Adults that are here in the audience, 
We have the power to share God's good news. We have the Holy Spirit to help guide us to new individuals inside and outside of the church. And that we say this person needs to hear about God or this person needs to grow as a believer. They might have failed. You might have something against them. But do you have the mindset, I won't give up on them. I will help them and show them God's mercy and love, which he had, which he had for me. He is mighty enough to judge. He is mighty enough to show mercy and to show grace. At the very beginning, I mentioned the example of Young Ji Cho. At the beginning, he communicated a message how much he hated those people, the Japanese people. How after saying those words, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And the pastors, one by one, of the, of the Japanese pastors came up and they forgave him and asked forgiveness. I'm sorry, they asked forgiveness of him. And God filled him with those three words and changed his mindset towards the Japanese people. I love you. I love you. I love you. As God has the desire and the power to forgive any sinner, he loves to show mercy. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us go out and tell others about the gospel, extending God's love and mercy to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time to be able to open up your word. We pray, dear God, that as we go throughout our circumstances in life and this week, that we will be reminded of being bold in your witness, but as well, Lord, that we will show mercy and that we will show God's love to a, even when they, there is undeserving of it. And Father, if there's any unsaved here today that do not know you as their Lord and Savior and have not called out to you as the Ninevite people have, that they will, even today, call out to you. And we just do pray, Lord, that you'll just bless the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.